You're listening to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast, Episode 49. It's time to look at weight loss in a whole new way. Instead of focusing on calories in, calories out, you'll learn how to use your brain to transform your body and heal your relationship with food. If you're ready to lose your weight for the last time, you're in the right place. Because it's more than what you eat. It's who you are when you're eating. This is the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Here's your host, life and weight loss coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman. Welcome back to the podcast this week. Today, we're talking all about the power of feeling bad. Now, I know you're probably sitting there listening to me, shaking your head and thinking, what the heck is she talking about? The power of feeling bad? There's no power in feeling bad. And I'm here to tell you that yes, yes, there is. And by the end of the interview that you'll listen to on the podcast today, you will believe it too. Because here's the thing. If you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know that the key to sustainable weight loss is to manage your big heavy, hard, difficult, negative, uncomfortable emotions, right? And the key to managing those emotions is understanding the thoughts behind them. And so if you can learn how to sit with those big, nasty, hard, uncomfortable, painful emotions, if you can allow yourself to really experience them without having to turn to food to comfort you or anesthetize you in some way, then that gives you so much power, not just on your weight loss journey, but in life in general. And so there really is power in learning how to feel bad. And so today we interview Jen Fry. She is a fellow coach who is a master at teaching you exactly how to feel these hard, difficult, negative, bad emotions. Now, Jen is actually a coach who helps women who are holding the secret of past infidelity move from shame to joy and connection. And although we're not talking about infidelity in this podcast, women who have experienced that hold a lot of shame and negative emotion. And if they can learn how to sit with their negative feelings, you can too. Jen provides a judgment-free, compassionate space where her clients can realign with their dreams and embrace a future of possibilities regardless of their past mistakes. And when we hold ourselves hostage to our past, we create more suffering in the world. Jen believes our purpose is to create love and light, and it always starts inside of us. And just for the record, Jen loves being active outside, and her favorite meal is brunch. Mine too. (laughs) All right, without further ado, here is the interview with Coach Jen. Jen, welcome to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. I am so happy to have you here with us today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. And we're going to talk all things emotions today. And I'm super excited about this because inside our programming in Ways of Health, I would say the last month or two, we've really had this focus on what our emotions are, what they mean, and how they're contributing to our weight and our struggles with our weight and how they're sometimes even getting in the way of our ability to 
either accept our body as it is or make the changes that we want to see. Mm -hmm. And so this interview could not be coming at a better time. And I think let's just start easy with what the heck is an emotion? Because I think we often throw the words, you know, emotion, feeling around without, you know, really understanding what it is. And then once we have that definition out of the way, what I would love to hear is how you came to work with emotions and why you've made this your, your passion in life. So BC before coaching, if you would have (laughs) asked me that question, I would have said, well, an emotion is like how you feel, right? Like Mm -hmm. I feel happy. I feel sad. And I probably would have described it as like that outward expression. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how do I know I'm sad because I'm crying? How do I know I'm happy because I'm laughing? But what we learn through coaching is we we describe a feeling as a vibration in our body. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I, I don't think I truly got what that meant. Like, okay, it's a vibration in your body. So if you if, if this is your first time really hearing that definition, I think it sounds a little bit, at least for me, it sounded a little bit like nebulous, like a Mm -hmm. little woo, a little, Mm -hmm. huh? So when I, I, if I'm talking to someone and this is their first time hearing it, I would also describe it as it's like the opportunity to go inside your body and notice the sensations your body is offering you. Mm -hmm. And in general, I think we're pretty disconnected with that. Right. Even from like, am I hungry? I don't know. Am I tired? I don't know. Do I have Mm -hmm. to go to the bathroom? Like, have you ever thought, well, I don't really have time to go to the bathroom. So like, I'll just hold it. I'll just ignore that bodily sensation. Yes. Right. So like times, (laughs) right. So if we don't know when we have to go to the bathroom or we don't know when we're hungry, how the heck do we know if we're happy or sad or angry or right? We're just so disconnected. So it's reconnecting with our bodies and uh, and noticing the physical and like like the sensations that are happening in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And I think I love this definition of emotions because one of the things that I see a hundred percent of the time in all of my weight loss clients is exactly what you say is this disconnect from your own body. And -hmm. when we start to do work with emotions, that is the most common answer I get is like, you know, let's just sink into your body. What do you notice? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, totally. That was totally me, right? (laughs) Right. And I I think it's, it's just kind of the way our culture has conditioned us to be that feelings are not okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, certain feelings aren't okay, And we have to maintain composure all of the time when we're out there. Right. Living our lives in the world. And so we just kind of learn to. To totally to put a wall between ourselves and and those feelings that we're experiencing in our body, because right, because if I was like, hey, Michelle, how are you today? You would probably be like, I'm fine. So we just sort of, we like walk around just thinking like, oh, we're fine. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. And I don't, do I have to go to the bathroom? I don't know. Am I hungry? I don't know. I haven't eaten for three hours. So I guess I am. Or like, I'm tired, but I want to play Candy Crush or I don't know, whatever. Like we just (laughs) ignore and, and disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. And so BC before coaching, Mm -hmm. what was your emotional life like? 
Because I think, you know, when I talk to experts in their area, they 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 always seem like they have it together. They know exactly what's going on. They don't struggle with emotions or or whatever their their field of expertise is. But was there a time when emotions were difficult for you as well? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, I still have to be very intentional and deliberate about noticing and like reconnecting. So it would look for me, right? Like I said, that outer expression, um, like with my husband and my kids, not my finest moments, but like yelling, raising my voice, Mm -hmm. um, acting out on frustration Mm -hmm. instead of recognizing like, oh, I'm scared here or, oh, I'm sad here. It's just, there was so much resistance to noticing and feeling that everything was like this outward expression of frustration or being upset, mm-hmm. um, which that doesn't feel good either. No. And it's often reactionary. Like you totally. don't, like you don't necessarily know you're angry or frustrated. The, the reaction just comes out in response totally. to a situation. And I think the problem with that is that we blame the situation that we're reacting to yes. for the way that we're feeling. And I yes. think that's one of the big values of doing emotions work is, is that you start to understand that you are actually responsible for the way that you feel. Totally. Or right. Another, another place that it could go is like, if you've ever been the person who like, I don't even know why I just opened the pantry and I'm staring at the pantry and looking for food. Like, I don't think I'm actually hungry. I don't really know why I'm here. Mm -hmm. Or you start eating and then you're like, I didn't even realize I was eating. It's so, so, so mindless. Mm -hmm. And it's really just because there's something inside me that doesn't feel good that I'm like trying to get away from. I'm trying to get away from it by raising my voice or eating or right again, some Mm -hmm. kind of outward action because going inside doesn't feel safe, right? Totally on a, like this subconscious level, right? I had no Mm -hmm. idea any of this was going on until I discovered coaching. Right. And you just brought up so many good things in that, that example of being in the pantry. But before we get there, I would love to know how you came to work with emotions. Is there a story there? really through my own coaching um, and taking, so taking different levels of certification, taking ongoing education for coaching. And I thought I was actually quite good at managing my emotions because what I thought that meant was like, well, you should just stop having that outward expression. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. I'm like, I think I'm, a, I'm really good at this, but what I discovered in getting coached by my peers and just getting a little bit deeper is it was still this avoidance. Mm -hmm. So really learning how to reconnect and being challenged by my peers and by my coaches to be willing to go inside. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's really been the difference. And it's really honestly been the past six months that have, have really made a huge difference and have taken me from that place of, well, I'll just stop doing those outward expressions Mm-hmm. to I'll go inside and find safety within my body, which was a really new experience. Right. And my God, is it, isn't, isn't it difficult? 
Like, I mean, I know it, my story parallel parallels yours in many ways. Um, when I initially found coaching, it wasn't for my weight. It was actually for career stuff. Um, so I was not sure that I liked my job as a physician. I up here in Canada in our publicly funded healthcare system, there are struggles. And sometimes it's very difficult for us as physicians to get patients what they actually need. And that was contributing to a poor job satisfaction on, on my part. And so I actually hired a coach for career coaching mm-hmm. and she started talking all of this emotions and very quickly it turned um, to weight loss for me. And I had no idea. I mean, I don't know how many years of post-secondary education I have, like in the double digits for sure. And nobody had ever taught me what emotions were and Mm -hmm. what I was doing with them and how that was contributing to a lot of the discomfort um, in my life. And I am not kidding you. It took me two years of coaching before I felt safe enough to go into my body and really explore what my emotions were um, Mm -hmm. and how they were manifesting out there in my life. It is not easy work. And, you know, and why I chose to do weight loss coaching and not career coaching for my coaching career is, you know, simply because I think that one common thing that all of us who struggle with weight is this inability to connect with our bodies and needing to turn to food to sort of anesthetize all of those uncomfortable feelings that we think we can't survive. Yeah. Why do you think, like, why do you think it's so hard for us to feel safe in our own bodies? Well, I think part of the reason is that we're told it's like, Mm -hmm. I grew up with a father who was the best man in the universe, but always told me, you know, chin up, chin up. And he would, you know, flick the bottom of my chin and, 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 and lift it up. Or if I was crying or upset, he had this phrase, he said, take your pain, put it in a shoebox and give it to your teacher later. And so I was just kind of taught that if I was feeling something uncomfortable, I just had to put it away. And I think a lot of us get these these messages that it's not okay to express emotion. And you have a choice then to either suppress it or to, you know, express it in another way, like eating or playing candy crush or shopping or or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. And I, I do all those things. I shop, I play Candy Crush, I eat. <laughs> yeah, I it's so you're so right because um I didn't even think about it until you said until you gave your example. So I appreciate that. I remember like very vividly my parents being like if you're going to cry, we'll give you something to cry about. Right. And they weren't bad parents, <laughs> but I I mean, thankfully I would never say that to my children. Now I just yell at them, but you know, <laughs> I don't know. Is that better? And, and that's, I mean, and that, that was my reason for finding coaching was really my parenting. I felt like, why am I this like angry, crazy mommy? Mm-hmm. I, I want to enjoy my kids. I don't want to repeat these patterns. I want to validate their feelings Like I knew how I wanted to be, but when you can't offer that to yourself, it's very difficult to offer to someone else, right? So true. And Jen, do you have any other ideas of why we as a culture are in this place where we just can't experience our emotions fully? I think there's such a narrow view of like people who identify as women, like what we can be, Mm -hmm. right? And I, I think that might be part of it. 
we can, we should be a certain size or a certain weight or do certain things and show up in a certain way. And so, and we're, we're the emotional ones like air quotes, women are emotional, but don't be too emotional, especially at work, because if you're too emotional at work, then your authority gets questioned. Yes. And if you're not yes. emotional enough, then you're not being maternal and you really should be maternal. And it's like, it's just this constant, it's like, I think we don't know how to behave because the expectations oh, yeah. are so like they're nebulous and clear all at the same time. Oh, it's it. You know what? It's so frustrating. And I'm going to go off on a tangent here because um, in my in my medical world, I also hold a leadership position. And on occasion at meetings, I will have people, men always come to me. One will say, you know, you're you're too emotional. You should really just, you know, calm down a little bit. And another one say you were way too aggressive. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like what? <laughs> like, right. you, 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 you can't win as a woman trying to navigate through this world. Um, sometime we're always too much something. Um, right. right. And mean, and meanwhile, you're watching the men like throw these temper tantrums, like stomping yeah. their feet or standing up and getting big and boisterous and loud. Right. And that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if we did it as women or people who identify as women, it, it changes. It's not okay. All of a sudden it's very interesting, but I think, I think that is partly what creates this lack of safety in our own bodies because we're not allowed to just trust ourselves Yeah, because it's never the right thing. Yeah. And so of course this begs the question then is how do we get back to that place where we can trust ourselves and where it feels safe to be in our body and to really experience the physical sensations of all of these emotions that we're supposed to have as human beings. Yes. As Which by the way, men also have just so of everyone course, knows. Of course they do. <laughs> they just tend but, not to listen to this podcast. Right. And well, and I think it's important for us to know that because like they, they're so blocked off from their emotions too. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we, like it's a cultural societal phenomenon. So the first time that I really went in my body and recognized that I had safety there was like really, really powerful mm-hmm. because I realized in that moment, the only thing I was really afraid of was my own brain, my own thoughts, my own judgment of what was going to be there. Yeah. And as soon as I could let that dissolve, it was like, oh, like this is the one place where I am totally safe, no matter what is said in the room, no matter if someone thinks I'm too aggressive or too emotional or not emotional or not maternal or whatever, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can always find safety in myself because I've cultivated this deep self-love and Mm self-compassion and I'm willing to go there. Mm -hmm. And I think that self-love and that self-compassion is an excellent end game, but it's not easy if you're coming from this place where you've got nothing but criticism towards yourself Mm -hmm. and you do not feel safe in your body in any way, shape or form. It's hard to go from that to all of a sudden having some self-love and self and and self-compassion. And I think, well, let me ask you, it's like, what are small steps people can take to start to cultivate some of that safety? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you two things that I, that have worked for me. So the first thing is that awareness, right? So because most of the time that voice in our head, that, that judgy voice is so 
subconscious, we don't recognize that it's an option. It's just, it's like, this is just how I operate, right? So knowing that just because my brain offers me a sentence does not make it the truth. Right. And listening for what is my inner judgment. And I think sometimes we get confused between like my intuition, my inner knowing and my judgment, Mm -hmm. my like, and like judging. Right. So I named mine Mean Girl. And Mean right. Girl would show up anytime. Like I tried to do something new. I tried to do something brave. I tried to do something different. Mean Girl would pop on my head and be like, you're an idiot. No mm-hmm. one's ever going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. Don't even bother trying. Mm-hmm. This is stupid. Mm-hmm. And also you're stupid. Right. And yeah. if that's the voice I'm listening to, and that's what I believe about myself... Right. The first step is just hearing that voice. Right. And then naming her like, oh, there's mean girl. Yeah. And I think I think we all have our version of the mean girl for sure. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges is we've been carrying around that mean girl for so long that she just feels a part of our. Yeah. A a part of who we are. And it can be hard to hear that voice. Um, and, And I think. At Waza, I have people journaling all the time. I mean, we we journal nonstop inside my programs. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think journaling is an excellent way to really start to see where that mean girl voice is starting to pop up and to, to get some separation from, you know, when that judgment is talking versus when, you know, your body is trying to send you a little, a little piece of wisdom. Yes. Um, and, you know, it, it can be difficult. And um, it's just, you know, funny, a few days ago, um, one of the perks of being a coach that hosts a podcast is that I talk to other coaches all of the time. And they're often offering me, you know, sessions to come experience what they, what they offer people. And so I, I did an inner voice um she was an inner voice facilitator, a facilitator, and she she did a session with me, which was absolutely fantastic. But one of the things that I often struggle with is, you know, I'm a physician, I've got some degrees, I'm I'm an intellect, I'm I'm intellectual, I like my brain, like thinking is what my superpower is. And so um that's where I feel safe is up in my head. Mm-hmm. And of course, once I learned that there are all of these other voices in my head that are you know, sending me messages that aren't necessarily helpful is like, how do I access um, the part of me that does know the truth? And it has always been scary for me to leave my brain and go to the part of my body that that can tell me what my truth is. And during this session, my brain came up with this metaphor of like going from my brain downstairs to my gut, which is kind of where I feel my intuition for a second opinion. And so since then, when I'm starting to feel like I'm getting triggered or I'm about to, you know, have one of those external expressions of, of an emotion, I can say, let's just go downstairs for a second opinion. And then I'm able to check in. And for whatever reason, and that makes me feel safe um, in in my body. So that was like a little bit of a of a turning moment um, for me. So I like to I love that. that metaphor. Go, going downstairs for a second opinion. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. So good, yeah, right? It is good. I like it too. Yeah, I like, I like it too. And I think 
I think practicing mindfulness or having a meditation practice or even just moments where you're just sitting with yourself without, you know, your, your cell phone or the TV on or, or whatever, just, you know, moments of quiet can help you hear um, some of those voices that are chattering in your head about, about who you are as well. Totally. Yeah. Before Mm -hmm. coaching, I always thought like, oh, it seemed like a good idea to do yoga. And the people who do yoga seemed so like calm, (laughs) but I would get into a yoga class and be like, oh, this is like way too much breathing, too much like focusing. It's too quiet. I did not like yoga at all. And now I'm at a place where I really enjoy because again, it's like finding that safety and being willing to have that, that quiet time in my own body. Like Mm. if, if you've never done yoga, the last five or 10 minutes, they do like a Shavasana, like a quiet meditation. So if I did manage to make it to a a yoga class BC before coaching, I always laughed, like grab my bag, like I'm out of here. I'm not doing this, like lay down and be with my breath business. Like that's too, it was too much. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know why at the time, but it's totally because I didn't feel safe, right? I didn't feel connected enough to be in that space. Yeah. So I think starting with like a minute, two minutes, right? This doesn't have to be a 30 Mm -hmm. minute meditation, but starting small can be helpful. Mm -hmm. And I, one of the things I would do is set my, um, set my alarm and it would go off, I don't know, two or three times a day. And I would just stop what I was doing and ask myself, how are you feeling right now? Or how are you feeling in this moment? Mm -hmm. And I swear for probably like at, at least three or four months, two, three times a day, I would ask myself that question. And the answer would consistently be, I feel fine. I don't know. Everything seems fine. So, but continuing that practice and again, like dialing in like, okay, well, if I can't find an emotion, can I find a sensation? Can I find tightness? Can I find pulling? Can I find, is there anything in my body that I can find? And that took some practice. Right. Yeah. And I've actually done something similar in the past. So I might be one of the only people on the planet who actually uses the breathe app on my Apple watch. Right. And so when it stopped and, and, and would tell me to breathe, what I would do is breathe. And I would ask myself, what do I really need right now? Yes. Cause I, I, I like, I, I found like, if, if I asked myself, like, how do I feel? I would like, my brain would get in the way and say, Right. But somehow that question is like, what do I need right now would be the thing that would allow me um, to check into my body. And it's 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 second nature now. But I I don't know. It was probably, you know, definitely more than six months of doing that before Mm -hmm. I was able to easily check in and and hear what my body was was trying to tell me. Not easy. And, you know, I, I just had a thought in there as well. I mean, I wonder if you know, our culture is all about the rat race, right? Like we're, we go, 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 go at, at high speeds. And I, I wonder if that also just contributes to things and that, you know, we're just not used to slowing down mm-hmm. and slowing down feels uncomfortable because we think we're not doing everything we can to, you know, provide for our families or be successful or, you know, what, 
whatever it is. And I, I, I'm just, I have in mind a couple of clients who are always telling me, you know, like if they're bored on the weekend, they have to go find something to do. They'll start cleaning the house or they'll do something because like the thought of actually sitting with themselves is the worst possible outcome um, for them. And I wonder if that could really be um, a signal that, you know, it's time to just sit down for even just a minute or two and check in with your body. If you're starting to feel that that restless energy to to get moving and and do something again yes that is so good and that that was totally me like I'm a very productive person and I really prided myself and my guess is that a lot of like your listeners are probably right high achieving get a lot of stuff done we're very productive Mm -hmm. but then I realized again through coaching my value rested on my productivity. Mm-hmm. And as long as we believe that to be true, it is very difficult to, to slow down. It is very difficult to take a pause. Mm-hmm. And until we, until we break that identity and realize that who we are and our value and worth has nothing to do with what we accomplish, we stay in that space. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, that is also difficult though, to even, to even see that that is what you value or that is where you're placing your worth. And then to, to navigate through that, it's tough work. Yeah. I was also thinking when you were talking about the breathing, Mm -hmm. aren't you so glad that your body does it on its own? Because I always think if I had to remember to breathe, I'd be like passed out all over the place. People would be like, what's wrong with Jen? Oh, she just forgot to breathe again. Like she's fine. (laughs) She'll come too. (laughs) Well, I mean, and it's such a tremendous reminder that our bodies know what they need to do to keep us alive. Yes. (laughs) Right. And that we can let go of some of, you know, some of the control and everything is going to be okay. We're going to continue to breathe. Our heart is going to continue to beat. Blood is going to continue to flow and we don't have to do anything about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think coming back to breath is one thing that helped me in those moments of the timer and just like being with my body. Um, and, and one of the, like a mantra that I'll say to myself is breath is life. Mm -hmm. So if I'm experiencing breath, I'm experiencing my own life. And that helps me to connect Mm -hmm. like, like what is happening with my body? What is happening inside of me when I breathe? Mm-hmm. And not from, you know, a physiological perspective, but well, of course, just very much from like, a, what, what am I experiencing in this moment? Right. And what's so beautiful about that also is your breath is always with you. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. It's always, it's always there to stop and take a pause and notice notice your breath. It's just such a powerful way to bring you back in from whatever's happening out there um, yes. in the, in the external environment, back, back into your body. It's such a beautiful anchor for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can I, um, can I share a tip with your listeners? One way to Please. notice if they're like back in their brains again. Mm-hmm. So if you are having a conversation or if you're like finding that quiet time, if you're noticing that you're looking up, that's a good indicator that we're back in our brains. Ah, uh, sure. But if we yeah. notice we're looking down or we can have our eyes closed, it helps us to like stay in our bodies mm-hmm. because that's something that would come up a lot for me is 
I would be like, I would be trying to notice sensations in my body. And then my brain would start kicking in with like an interpretation. Right. But if I would lower my eyes or like close my eyes and focus on the breath and really Mm -hmm. focusing on like, like vibrations or sensations Mm -hmm. that would help me stay in my body. Yeah. That's, that's such an important tip. And I think another, another thing that comes up when I do this work with clients is this need to get it right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like this thought, like, I don't know if I'm doing it right. Right. And, you know, for, you know, for, for example, this happened, you know, the other day and we, we were just essentially doing a body scan, right. And, and checking in and noticing the different sensations in the body. And, you know, someone piped up and said, well, you know what? I, I, I felt like pokers at my back, but I don't know if I'm doing it right. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right thing. Is that, was that what I'm supposed to feel? And that is like the perfect example of the brain getting in the way of this process. Yes. And I think like the, I, I love the tip of closing your eyes um, or, or lowering your gaze down and then re, you know, reconnecting with the breath again. But I think this also just is something that requires a little bit of practice, right? It's, it's, it, it just takes some time to understand that it's actually okay to let go of your thoughts and just experience mm-hmm. it without judgment. Totally. And I know, you know, like the first, um, I've, I've had a meditation practice for years and years and years, and I'm not kidding you. It probably took three years, if not longer for me to just let my breath be the way it was going to be when I was watching it without controlling it. Right. Cause for the longest time I would, <laughs> I would try to have these nice, long, beautiful yoga breaths when I was watching my breath. And if I was doing a guided meditation and the instructor was saying, you know, just allow your breath to be natural, just, you know, follow the inhales and exhales. It took me years before I could actually just let my breath be as it was and watch it. So it's yes. not something that you do once. And then all of a sudden you're, you're a master of all the, the, the vibrations in your yeah, body. Uh-uh. Totally. It's, it's a practice. It's something that you have to commit to doing over, over a longer period of time. Yeah. So can I, can I confess something to you? Sure. <laughs> so have you ever been in uh, like done a meditation or been in a yoga class where they have you do like one nostril breathing? Yes. 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 For some reason, I really hate that. So <laughs> when I first was introduced to it, I like tried it and I'm like, this, this does not work for me. So again, BC, instead <laughs> of like honoring my body, honoring what felt good for me, I would just like pretend and fake it. <laughs> like talk about completely missing the point, right? right? When I'm like trying to pretend like I'm doing this, like one nostril breathing and I'm pretending yeah. like I'm doing it. And it's like such a display again, right? Like that outward display mm-hmm. rather than the focus truly being on what feels good for me, honoring my body and there, I, I, I was so in my head. I didn't even get the benefit of like the breathing. Yeah. So th- I, yeah. that is my invitation is right. If, if you're doing something, even if it's a meditation, if it doesn't feel right for you, if putting, lowering your gaze doesn't feel right for you, mm-hmm. it's totally fine to your point. Mm-hmm. You're not doing it wrong. Exactly. Exactly. Right. That is such a perfect example of how up in our heads we get about literally everything all the time. Right. And then it's like, it becomes performative rather than like healing or transformative. And there's a huge difference. And I'm super guilty of the performative. Yeah, we all are. 
we all are. It's just part of being human. Yeah. And I think it, I think it stems from that idea of like wanting to do it right Mm -hmm. and wanting to like that, that human need for like wanting to be part of the group, wanting to be accepted. Mm -hmm. Everyone else is doing it. So I'll do it too. Right. All of those kinds of thoughts. Right. And so I think that that inner mean girl, the judgment, that fear of what if I don't get it right is one big obstacle to doing this work with emotions. I think another obstacle is there's also this fear of what's going to happen if it's not comfortable. Like I I don't want to sit and experience my anger. Like that doesn't feel good. I don't want to sit and experience my anxiety. That doesn't feel good. And so there's this instinct to not want to go there because we don't want to feel bad. Totally. Yeah. And our brains are so scared of how bad it's going to be. Or like, if I go there, it'll last forever, or I won't be able to get Mm -hmm. myself out, or Mm -hmm. I don't know what will happen because we don't have that safety, all the things. Right. And is any of that actually true? So I think sometimes it lasts longer than what we want, but not Mm -hmm. forever. I think sometimes it's uncomfortable, but it's never more than what we can handle, right? Because we're always in charge. We can always stop. Mm-hmm. We can always come back into our brains. Mm-hmm. So what I, what I try to do with clients is we, we do little baby steps, right? Like, can you feel anger for 15 seconds? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to feel anger for 30 seconds? This doesn't have to be, you know, 30 minutes of feeling angry. Right. And we're just training our brain to help it understand it's, it's not what you think it's going to be. And the relief that comes from like stopping the resisting is, is usually, and I can't think of a case where it hasn't been so powerful that it trains the brain that this, there is safety here. Right. And so that is exactly why I love my, let's go downstairs for a second opinion metaphor, Yes, (laughs) because it kind of, um, assures the brain that this is a temporary thing. You're just going to go check in with your body and then you're going to come right back. Right. And so you can choose to just do that for 15 seconds if that's, if that's all you can manage. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing that you mentioned, like this concept of resistance, I think is so important because what I've definitely learned about my own emotional life is that it's the resistance towards feeling those negative emotions that causes all of the discomfort, not necessarily the emotion that I'm trying to resist in the first place, or at the very least that resistance just makes it much more uncomfortable than it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. What I've noticed for my own practice is that's always where I start. Mm -hmm. Like maybe someday that will change, but right now that's where I'm at is resistance comes up first. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, oh yeah, of course there's resistance. And then I can dissolve it and then I can feel it. But mm-hmm. I don't expect resistance to not be there. That's just kind of where my brain likes to start first. Sure. And I think that's pretty common, you know, for, for a lot of us. And it's the that resistance that often sends us into the pantry or into the tub of yes. ice cream. Right. Because right? it's avoiding, right? Resistance exactly. goes to avoidance. Exactly. Exactly. And and so I find like a good way to illustrate this is is is, you know, like 
you want the cookie and you don't want the cookie at the same, All the same time. time. Right. So <laughs> like you, your primitive brain is sending you this urge for a cookie because that's what you've always done when you're feeling anxious, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so as soon as your body senses that anxiety coming up, you get this urge for the cookie. And then you have your rational brain over here that's saying, well, you know, no, we're trying not to eat the processed foods so much. It's late at night. I don't want to like I won't sleep well if I eat the cookie. Um, I don't even like the cookie. Right. Uh And so your brain kind of gets into this, into this argument. And half the time when you go and eat the cookie, it's not necessarily because the urge was there. It's because that argument and the resistance and all of that tension needs to be resolved. And so you eat the, you eat the cookie and that, um, that tension goes away. And so when you're in those moments, when you're feeling that, that, that tension and in, in, in my body, it almost feels like, like a coiled up spring or something. Right. And that is always my cue to go downstairs for a second opinion to just, you know, check in and say, you know, what's really going on. And yeah. when I can understand, oh, you know, this is my anxiety. This is just my anxiety speaking. Now I'm in a place where I can just sit with those feelings, listen to what that anxiety is trying to tell me and then move on without eating the cookie. Yeah. I think for Mm -hmm. me, it started with noticing after I ate the cookie, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, I ate the cookie. I did the thing. What happened? Like what was going on? And again, like from so much love and curiosity, not letting mean girl come in and take over and tell me how terrible I am. Oh, it's so true. So true. And this this is what we have clients in ways to do as well, um, is when they do eat something that like we, we certainly don't ever label anything as good or bad. There's no mm-hmm. such thing uh, in our world. But when you eat something that you didn't want to, <laughs> right, to sit down and explore what went on, um, mm-hmm. who, who were you with? What had happened? What were the circumstances? How -hmm. did you feel before and after and all of the things? And Mm -hmm. they hate doing it, except that after, you know, a handful of these instances have occurred, the pattern starts to emerge. And then it's like, oh my God, every time I talk to my mother, I eat cookies afterwards. Like right. now, now you, we have, you know, something we can start to start to work with because yep. for most of us, we just find ourselves in the cookies and we're not really sure why. Um, so I agree with you that it, it, you know, the first steps is always, um, kind of looking at what happened retrospectively and, and yep. learning from it. And then once you've you've gained some information, then you know when you can start looking out for for your behaviors. Like I know exactly when I'm tempted to eat, right? After night shifts, you know, after certain things happen in my personal life, um, if I'm bored, like I, I, it's very predictable for me now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a couple of years ago, no, no, sure wasn't. Right. And then if we can predict yeah. when it's going to happen, then we can have that plan. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think also the other thing is, is, learning how to um, sink into your body and feel those vibrations and understand what your emotions feel like physically. It's so much easier to learn that during, you know, 
the peaceful times when you're not struggling with a huge, big emotion, but, you know, to just, you know, sit for a few minutes in the morning um, and just do a body scan and and notice, you know, what, what am I feeling in my shoulders? What am I feeling in my chest? And just Mm -hmm. get used to that process. Um, you know, when it's easy and then, you know, when you find that you're, you know, just on the brink of screaming at your kids or whatever, it's easier, um, in those moments to, to stop and check in with yourself. Yeah. That's so smart. Right. Is like developing the practice, like kind of like before I need it (laughs) before I'm ready, like before I need to go downstairs. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, I mean, think about athletes, right? Like they, look at a basketball player, like how many hours and hours and hours do they practice all alone on the court, you know, doing their three point shots over and over and over again so that they can do it in the high stress game, you know, Mm -hmm. later. Right. Yeah. I love that. It's the same. It's the same for, for emotions work. You've got to, you've got to practice in the court all alone every once in a while. Yeah. So (laughs) smart. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes we notice that after we eat the cookie and then it's like, we get a little bit more in tune and then we notice like, Oh, my hand is in the bag of chips or my hand is like on the cookie. Mm -hmm. And then I notice, and then it's like, so it's like this, this slow untangling of the pattern that we catch it a little earlier, a little earlier, a little earlier. We feel confident to go into our bodies and then we, we can act from there. So it's like, it it doesn't mean that it only, it's like a one and done. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. it'll never happen again. It's just that it's like an evolution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I love about this work is just how dramatic over the long term, the changes are. It's it's one of these, you know, frustrating situations where in the moment it feels like nothing's changing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's six months down the road and you look back at where you were and how you used to react to your children or your spouse or you know, whatever it is, versus what you do now. And there's just this dramatic change. Um, it's just in the moment when you're doing the work, it sometimes feels like like nothing is happening. And yeah. I see this in weight loss clients all of the time. In fact, they'll, they'll tell me they'll get to the end of the program and they'll say, uh, well, you know what? The 45 pounds I lost was just like this extra bonus because my family life is better. My relationship with my kids is better. I enjoy work better. Everything else um, has this whole bright new glow to it because they understand how to work with their emotions better. So um, there's yes. so much value in doing this work. So amazing, right? When we can reconnect mm-hmm. and like tune into ourselves. And I love that question. What do I really want? Mm-hmm. So good. Mm-hmm. And then the next step to that, by the way, is to actually give yourself that, which is sometimes just as hard as, as understanding what it is you need in the first place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the, what do I want, right? For me well, could look like, do I want water? Um, like, do I just need a drink? Do I need a walk? Do I need to like go inside myself? Do I need space? Do I need companionship? Right. <laughs> Very rarely am I like, I really, I really need a cookie. Right. It's, it's, it's very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So like having that. And, and I think that's where like being in tune, right. If I can get myself quiet, that's where like the intuition comes in. And I can really sense, like if I'm making a decision, I can ask myself, do I want this or that? Right. Mm -hmm. And like tuning into what is my body telling me about this choice? 
especially if I've been in my head about it, like pro con lists or right. Like going back and forth, I can be very persuasive in my brain, but Mm -hmm. my body doesn't lie. But the body never lies. The body never lies. And that's such a beautiful, a beautiful thing to remember, I think, because you know, you're right. I don't think any of us ever really need a cookie. And maybe there are times when we do. And if that's the case, then it's totally fine to have the cookie. But when you're having the cookie, because what you really need is companionship or something else, then you're not giving yourself what you need. And this is the problem with emotions is we always talk about them as being like indicator lights on the dashboard of your car, right? There is signal that your body's trying to tell you something. It's trying to express a need or, you know, give you a message of some kind. Mm -hmm. And if that urge for the cookie is actually trying to tell you that, you know, what you need is to, you know, have a nice hot bath by, you know, by yourself for a little bit of time, or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's companionship. And what you really need to do is call a friend you're going to eat the cookie and that urge is going to keep coming back until you actually give your body what it is that it wants. Mm. Um, And so there's just so much value in so many ways of learning how to slow down (laughs) and, and tune in and, you know, go downstairs for that second opinion. Yes. I think that metaphor is going to become a thing for me now. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to be a thing for me too. So thank you for sharing it. (laughs) But especially with everything that we know about our gut health, right? And that like our gut really is like that second brain. So So good. Yeah, so true. That metaphor just works in so many different ways. Hey, yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm like very proud of my inner voice for for giving me that metaphor. Right. We wouldn't have had that if you wouldn't have been like brave enough to go inside. Right. And, you know, what's it doesn't even take courage once you learn how to do it and how good it actually feels. Yes. Even sit with the uncomfortable emotions, because I can promise you it, you know, from my experience, my anger, my anxiety, my frustration is way less painful than what I feel after I eat a whole bag of cookies because I'm, I'm anxious. Totally. hundred percent. Yep. I couldn't agree more every time. And, and every time I do that, it reinforces that idea of like, I'm, I'm safe with myself. Mm-hmm. I have my own back. Mm-hmm. I can trust me, right? All those things. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. All right, Jen. I think I think this is a great place um, to leave it for today. We covered so many awesome points here. Um, if there are listeners out there who want to learn more about working with emotions, where can they find you? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram at jen.fry, F-R-E-Y dot coaching. Mm-hmm. or online at www.jenfrycoaching.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And before we sign off today, Jen, do you have any last words of wisdom to share? My last words of wisdom are just to trust yourself, trust your breath. And if you're not there yet, it's totally okay. Totally okay. I love it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you.
All right. Thank you so much, Jen. Listeners, I hope you learned as much from Jen as I did. I just thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with her. And if you'd like to learn more about Jen, you can see the link to her website in the show notes. And if you'd like to learn and practice this concept of feeling your difficult emotions, that is what we do all day long inside our Nourish Yourself Body and Mind program. If you're interested in learning more about that program, just head on over to www www.waysahealth.com forward slash nourish. And I cannot wait to talk to you again next week. Bye-bye for now.